da 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 You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. Hello and welcome back into this week, to this episode uh, of the Mad About Movies podcast. We are back at it again for the man fam, the VIPs, and everybody in between. I'm Kent, here with Brian and Richard, back in Hello. the house. What's up? What up? What up? They can't stop us, Kent. They try to. trying. Yeah. Uh, we just we'll won't allow it. Can't stop. We will not allow it. Rockefeller Records. There um, is something to take care of right off the top of the show, before we're even through the uh, opening theme here, is uh, Richard was absent last week. Uh, we we uh, take roll every week, and you have an A next to your name from last week, uh, Richard. Yep. So used I, up I think, one of your skips. Yeah, right. I think we uh, right off the top of the show, we need to block off about twenty eight minutes here for you to review Geostorm. Go. Oh man. <laughs> well, uh, twenty eight minutes would be more than he stayed in the theater. So okay, so let's play everyone's favorite game. <laughs> it's how long? How long did, did Richard make it? All right, Brian, what do you think? I am going to guess... I'm going to go a little longer than I really want to here just because, as as we talked about last week, it is over an hour before the actual geostorm begins. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go... I'm going to go 65 minutes. Okay. Kent? Yeah. Um, what, what's this, this line I wrote down that I quoted last week? I think this falls in about 37 minutes into the movie. Uh-huh. Um, you definitely didn't make it past the uh, let's examine this satellite and see what happened in Hong Kong line. Um, <laughs> so that was about 40 minutes. I'm going to go 44 minutes, Richard. Final answer. Okay. First off, I have that line now in script on my forearm. <laughs> oh, it's kind of a cool tribal, though. So right. that's tight. Um, this movie runs at an hour and 49 minutes. And I made it an hour and 49 minutes. Holy moly. No the way. way through, baby. Oh, wow. Like, oh. wow. Man, look at you. You're, you're making strides in life. Or you're, <laughs> yeah. or you're making strides really back. really rubbing you're off sk- on you. You're going to be watching Bones before you know it. <laughs> Either you're improving <laughs> your life or you're the like, first really season. hurting all yourself. 49 ep- all 49 episodes of season one. <laughs> done. It's like um, an 80s cartoon that has these... <laughs> incredibly long seasons i love it that's a great idea um yeah no i di- i don't know why just kind of it's first off it's pretty short it's an hour 49 so kind of i mean it felt that's the like only 40. positive you can say about that movie mm-hmm. is that it what didn't take two and a half hours out of my life yeah it only took an yeah. hour 40 um and it was just kind of like you know it was kind of sharknado-y to me i i just didn't I mean, I, I mean, it's an F minus 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 minus, and it's so overwrought and silly. And Gerard Butler is that's enough out of you. Uh, but you know, I don't know why. I just kind of was able to sit there. It was, it was, uh, it just kind of washed over me. Also, uh, in, I'll say it was augmented a bit uh, by very uh, how do I say this fascinating people in my theater that I was very interested in. So I spent half the time watching them and their mannerisms. Um, and so it's not necessarily an accurate representation. But yeah, before I knew it, all of a sudden there was credits. And I was like, oh, I meant to leave this early. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know that feeling. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's really bad. Um, 
But what I liked about it was good time to release it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Definitely yeah. not good eight time. years ago. Like, right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cast-wise, just theme-wise, like, not... Didn't really. But I will say, uh, this is... This, I believe, will make money. So, maybe Geostorm 2? Let's have let's have a look at that. Let's see. No, it, it um apparently it did huge in China because they wow. that Chinese yep. actor in it. They made him the star in all the trailers <laughs> and posters over there. That's smart. Um, That's and yeah. they're just cashing in. I just read an article about that. Mm-hmm. Hundred and forty million worldwide at this point on a yeah. one twenty yeah. budget. So, so yeah, it, it'll yeah. it'll break even somewhere. It'll break even yeah, somewhere. Yeah. It won't be a total. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully I'll come back with a sequel where Jim Sturgis gets more airtime. That would yeah. be Jim Sturgis preferable. is rough. Uh, I hate Jim Sturgis. We gave voice to the Jim Sturgis, the anti-Jim Sturgis contingent. We got several tweets and emails and uh, several personal phone calls from listeners <laughs> who uh, expressed expressed their uh, their dislike of Jim Sturgis. So I'm I'm glad that I can I can carry that flag. Yeah, he. Uh, I recently saw uh, what's the movie about Jeff Ma. Um, the blackjack one that he 21 did with space oh, 21. 21 i saw it for the first time recently all the way through mm-hmm. um and uh he yeah he's he's american accent's great so you have that <laughs> mm-hmm. his narration's even better so yeah the narration uh-huh. that's awesome <laughs> so so good and uh yeah he 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 uh he entered did that i always wondered that beatles movie across the universe mm-hmm. I remember that being a really big movie amongst my like friend group. I guess because we were all like nineteen when it came out, especially like girls like discovering Beatles, the Beatles for the first time. And but was that movie successful? I don't know. I think of it as a success. I think but it maybe was it successful. Wasn't. Can yeah. I? I've I got the number here. I don't know what its budget is. So I'm going to look that up because it's not listed, which is always a good sign. Yeah, across the universe made. Do y'all want to do over under? Or you want me to just tell you? I'm going to do oh. under a hundred million. But okay. um, that's domestically. Um, but I think they probably spent a lot of the budget on getting the rights to do this. The oh, movie. sure. Yeah, uh, that was probably totally. half the uh, half mm-hmm. the fifty okay. million right there. So go ahead. Sure. Google. Yeah, Google tells me that the budget was forty five million. Okay. So that's okay. okay. So you're saying under a hundred? Uh, yeah, I would say if I had to get. It, I remember it was a weird release. It was like a staggered release. But like mm-hmm. everyone I knew was talking about that movie, so I'm gonna yeah. say it made sixty million. I don't feel like million. people discovered it while it was out. I feel like most of my friends were talking yeah. about it when it, we were all watching theaters. it, and you know, at home and stuff. Yeah, I don't remember yeah, it had a big DVD thing. I mm-hmm. happened to see, I randomly I remember exactly. I was this is such a weird place to see it. I saw it right where you want to see uh, a Beatles inspired musical in Abilene. <laughs> And I was visiting a bunch of my friends that were in college. The London there. of Texas. As it is. Here. It is. Yeah. They have the Cockney accent too, like the northern. <laughs> um, but the uh, <laughs> it's a very dis- it's it's a distinct part of it's just the idea of people wandering around ACU's <laughs> campus. We're like, good day, governor. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> oh, uh, the Michael Caine voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was only sixteen years old. Um, <laughs> I would say, yeah, 60, 70 million worldwide. Okay. Or maybe, yeah, domestic. I don't know. What was Across it? the universe on a $45 million budget made a total of $29 million. Yes. Yeah, so that one didn't do well. But I think of that movie as, mm-hmm. in yeah. terms of like Zeitgeist, very successful. It was but everywhere. I guess, yeah, then, I felt yeah, maybe it's, it's just odd. our group, like our age. It might have been one of those things that was everywhere to a 
people within five years of age and nothing anyone else. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it gave us Jim Sturgis. So, I mean, yeah. can you put a price on that? I don't. And Evan Rachel Wood. Both. <laughs> yeah, both taken off. Uh, can't stop. Well, um, right off the top, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, before we get into movie news, r- rumors, rumblings here, there's a lot of stuff going on in Hollywood. Uh, it's not good. We acknowledge that it's happening. I'm talking, I'm referring to the Weinstein, Spacey, Piven, all that stuff, Ratner. And I'm, it's weird that these names are the ones I'm naming, but uh, it's, um, it's all happening. We acknowledge it. Um, it's awful. And um, we, we feel horrible mentioning it even, um, let alone talking about it at length. Um, no one cares what we think about all that. Uh, what we think is that it's awful and that it doesn't need to happen and that if those people involved are banned from Hollywood forever, I think everyone would be a little bit happier. So uh, that's really that's really it as far as that. But I don't feel like we can do this show and talk about the industry as much as we do from week to week basis without at least acknowledging that it's going on and that we want it to stop immediately. And um, I'm sure the people that are involved will get their... Uh, do do uh, punishment for that. So, moving on to some positive news um, on the Disney side of things. Actually, guys, um, there's two Disney notes I want to get to here. First of all, Richard didn't join us last week when we were able to talk Star Wars. Um, Brian and I, as the official Funny podcast of Star Wars, um, the Star Wars news we discussed. Richard was just that Solo was called Solo, and uh, that's really it. Not but that, um, they they bought that. They bought the rights to that title from the Toby Keith biopic <laughs> from the from the Cup Company. Yeah. It's funny because the working title of the movie was actually Red Cup, uh, which yeah. is funny. Um, but having said that, no, I know um, why. can't believe none of us put that together. That right? Kathleen Kennedy did an interview today on StarWars.com where she kind of talked about Solo and The Last Jedi, and she kind of laid the groundwork for what is to come. Uh, as far as Star Wars goes, and she mentioned the fact that after Episode Nine, they're going to see where things can go with Ray and Poe and Finn and those types and BB-8 and those types of characters. So I guess that kind of confirms that Episode Nine isn't the end of this timeline, this storyline, and that uh, further Episode Ten, Eleven, Twelve, and beyond could be um, involving characters that we know today. So that's cool, and also. Um, she says that they've got everything planned out pretty much for the next decade for Star Wars, and they've yet to announce really anything beyond Solo and Episode Nine. So that's cool. Uh, anticipate that. Speaking of uh, the Last Jedi, Disney did lay down the groundwork. I saw this in the Wall Street Journal earlier that um, they're requiring every theater in America pretty much to show the Last Jedi on their biggest screen for at least a month. <laughs> or they're gonna, or they're gonna like sue them, or not sue them, but they get this huge penalty. I think it's a five percent. Um, they get sixty five percent of the cut for those theaters for a month for the biggest theater, and then um, for the p- theaters that don't comply, they get charged an extra five percent on top of all the Last Jedi tickets. So um, that's the power of Disney, right there. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the same thing happened. I remember to Quentin Tarantino when he released The Hateful Eight and The Force Awakens came out. And Quentin Tarantino had planned this entire 70 millimeter roadshow, you know, giant screenings uh, all around America type thing. And all theaters were saying it was like, sorry, Star Wars is here. 
And mm-hmm. we can't not show Star Wars. Otherwise, Disney will pull all their films from all our theaters. And uh, you don't want to lose Disney if you're um, trying to make money in the theater business. Right. So yeah. um, looks like they're pulling that sword again. And Brian, the topic we had last week is how much at the end of the day will The Last Jedi probably uh, come down at? This mm-hmm. might increase that by just a hair. Could yeah, it it won't hurt. That's for sure. Do they really have to do things like this, though? Is the question? No, of course they not. don't have but to do can. these these things, yeah. and they can, and they can keep um a, a big uh, art house movie or an Oscar buzzy type movie out of those big theaters, and the less out of the big theaters you can keep it, the less people um will see them, and so that's um it's just crazy to see a company like that swing that big a sword uh, sure. around Hollywood, and that's cool. It, it yeah, I mean they can really pull it off this year too mm-hmm. because this calendar. I I always I always look ahead. I'm always looking ahead for like um, the next two or three months at a time for like what we're gonna do on the show and what we can talk about in the newsletter and the blog and stuff like that. Um, and typically by there's always a once you get to the the late year season you know the the oscary stuff there's sure. there's typically one or two movies that are going to pop up that'll get a wide release that we weren't expecting or or vice versa maybe we were hoping it was going to get a wide re- release and it doesn't something like that but typically by october i can get a really good feel for what's really headed our way and this this year is so in flux there's so many weird things that are happening partly because of the weinstein fiasco um like the current war, which was supposed to be a big Christmas Day release, Ooh, has gotten bumped, yeah. bumped completely. Like just it's going, just not being coming in the out. theater and seeing that logo before the movie, before a trailer, is just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> it automatically yeah. makes you less excited to see that movie. The mm-hmm, current war was sure. is a perfect example. Yeah, yeah, and they they pulled Polaroid yeah. this week, which I mean was is going to be was going to be terrible. So it's not that's not like a huge loss or anything, but. Um, you know, they're clearing their slate. A lot of the Oscar type movies just don't really have a great release calendar at this point, And that may totally change. But my, my point is, um, Disney can kind of do whatever it wants to, but especially in a year like this, where outside of like Jumanji, there's just not a lot of competition, mm-hmm. either art house or big blockbustery type stuff that's going to be getting in its way this, this, uh, this winter. And so this is a, if you're going to pull that kind of a power move, uh, and not that Disney like needs a prompt to pull a power move like that. Like this is, this is the year to do it. This is the time yeah. to, to push that through. Yeah. What's that? Oh, like life of pie type movie. I saw the trailer for that's coming out at Christmas. It's kind of dreamy um, about animals and a kid or something. I can't remember I what, what it's called. Talking. I can't place the, yeah, but there's. You're right. I mean, what what is it now? November. Yeah, um, November first today. And yeah. I I really haven't heard of any big besides the one with uh, Gary Oldman as Winston mm-hmm. Churchill, Darkest, Darkest Hour. Hour. Yeah. That's the only one that I've heard that's like coming out that is a must see, and mm-hmm. uh, it will probably be getting some buzz. This is, I guess, we can say at this point, this is pretty tame season as as far as um the art house and. Mm-hmm. Uh, independent cinema goes. What about the what about the uh, <laughs> Rob Reiner LBJ film? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> can't with Woody can't Harrelson. Wait. Can't wait. Yeah. yeah. Yikes. Yeah. That's Pitch Perfect be... Three comes out at Chris. I mean, that'll get some. It's just yeah, it's just not a great the great the Greatest Showman 
Is that what you were talking about, Kent? The Hugh Jackman, uh, uh, that, the, the uh, circus the, movie? Uh, Alexander Payne one, too. Yeah, Downsizing. No, Downsizing, yeah. I, I saw the trailer for the first time at Suburbicon, yeah. and I was like, wow, mm-hmm. this looks awesome. Like, this yeah, could be... Sure. It could really be... Walter Mitty could be really ambitious and cool looking and just kind of be, fall flat. Or it yeah. could be that, what was that one movie with uh, uh, Al Pacino, uh, Simone? Remember that one? Yeah. Uh, kind of has that vibe to it. Or but, yeah, or it could be Truman Show. Be, right, or it could right. be Truman Show. But I mean, the effects look incredible. I mean, the plot is interesting, I would sure. say the least. Like, you could downsize and your money would be worth more. Like, what do they say? If you make $50,000 here... If you down, if you shrink yourself, you'll have ten million dollars or whatever it is. Um, uh-huh. it, it's the cool premise. I did not know about this movie, and the trailer was awesome. So I'm that's that might be one to circle for look yeah. out for. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that would be is, fun. Is really good. Yeah, that's a must see always. Yeah. Even if you don't, even if I don't end up liking the movie or or loving it, it's always Alexander Payne is must see. And the papers comes out too, and I'm we're all super stoked about that. But that's uh, not getting a release until January. Like it's gonna yeah. get the super limited Oscar release. There's, it's where now it comes called out the Post, in, by the way. It's oh, it did it. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. So it'll come out. I was wondering in why they're L.A., the New York, and, and Minneapolis, and that's it for some the reason. The thing it's originally based on is the Pentagon Papers leak and like uh-huh. the post kind of missed on that. Like the, the New York times kind of outscooped them on that. Um, so I was like, why are they calling this the papers? So now, now we know. Um, yeah. Cause it's New York times. Now it's about the times and the post. I don't know what it's, how it's, what the angle is on it, but the Pentagon papers were, were mostly New- this, this guy in a hotel room, like trans going through and transcribing these documents for the New York Times. It's a pretty cool story in itself. Yeah. You should look it up, but, but I don't know that. where the post plays into that, you know, whereas Watergate is more that, but uh, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. pumped. That cast is unreal. Sure. Brian, when does this... The director's um, okay. Uh, the director sucks, but eh, everything you know. else looks cool. <laughs> Hopefully they can overcome. When does what this... Saying, uh, oh, December 8th. This, this Tanya Harding movie... Did you see the trailer for this? Yeah, that's a really awesome. That. People it, like are going Margot Robbie looks great and freaking American Treasure Allison Janney. Like watch the yeah. Red Band trailer oh, for this. Me. This she's going to be they're both going to be nominated for this. I can yeah. I can call it now. I'm so glad that it's funny cuz when I heard they were making that I'm like that can go a lot of different ways, mm-hmm. but the kind of dark comedy twist on it is the mm-hmm. perfect way to handle that subject matter. Oh yeah. It's uh this is one to look at. I've heard some positive things in the film festival circuit too regarding it and uh yeah so i didn't i didn't realize it came out this year i thought it was next uh like during the winter olympics kind of a thing yeah uh, so. sure yeah but that's what i'm talking about like it's all over the place this mm-hmm. this winter i don't really i, I, I don't just saw the trailer for this like and it that. comes out in literally uh-huh. one month yeah it's so just, I mean, it's kind of all and it's it's wide open if you're an oscar contender of any sort you this i to me at this point this seems like the most wide open year i can i can remember on that front so they have you know. this uh film festival out in, in virginia the middleburg middleburg film festival and just because of the time of the year that it is even though it's like in suburban kind of virginia um because it's like the last festival before oscar season it's starting to get a lot of these movies um smart and yeah, no, it's like I really want to go to it because it's like a it's like a movie festival with a lot of Oscar movies. Um, but yeah, that that Tanya Harding thing was like the big fan favorite at that festival. So mm-hmm. um, Darkest yeah. Hour crushed at that too. Yeah, I Tanya, uh, Darkest Hour that uh, that Joan Didion movie that just came out on. What Netflix. about that one with uh, Andrew Garfield 
as oh, the uh, yeah. the polio movie. Yeah, I don't remember what that was called. I, that comes that out come, this year, right? Yeah, I think again, it's I have no clue when it'll get a wide release, and maybe someone out there is smarter than me. But it's a it's just weird. It's a weird one. I'm, the Shape of Water looks really good, There's and this that comes th- out three December. billboards movie. Three billboards looks great. You know, I mean, it's gonna be and just Battle in of the Sexes we, is already out. Um, sure, yeah, that's come and gone. I mean, if you're a newer listen, listener, we we get a lot of like emails and tweets and stuff asking about some of these smaller movies. Typically what ends up happening for us is we'll do sort of the bigger movies through December and catch up on these as we go leading up to Oscar time, partly because of, you know, demand. We, we're not going to preempt a star Wars podcast for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, but partly because we don't, we don't get, get a lot of these movies yeah. until, uh, until later in the year. So, or earlier the next year, I guess. So just a little FYI. Yeah, so I guess maybe just cool, kind of cool to get some perspective on where we are at this point of the year. Um, this is going to be an interesting one for my top 10. I can already anticipate that. Uh, this is going to be mm-hmm. maybe very different than other years in terms of the kinds of movies I pick and things like that. So um, I'm excited to see where that goes. But we have one more thing to kind of go over here before we talk Suburbicon. And it was a Disney nugget that I teased earlier. They've released the entire cast of this Lion King, John Favreau movie. Uh, the entire voice cast, if you will. And uh, it's a very, very impressive cast. And uh, I think we've only talked about Donald Glover being Simba on the show before, which is awesome. So we'll start there. Uh, Lion King stars Donald Glover as Simba. Uh, I can't pronounce this next one. Um, Bay wants now what mm. now less yeah Bay wants now less as you got it it's Nala um, she looks like Beyonce oh it's Beyonce uh, Beyonce <laughs> Knowles Carter as Nala cool choice there I'm sure the singing will be fantastic um, between Gambino and Bay once <laughs> then we move on to a returning person uh member of the cast maybe the only one i think so far yeah um james earl jones as the voice of mufasa simba simba like it has to be him right it's just like you can't have darth vader without him either right simba everything the light touches (laughs) he's so good uh so james earl jones coming back uh then we get chiwetel Ijiofor as Scar. Yeah. Made famous by Jeremy yeah. Irons in the original. Chiwetel as Scar in this is going to be awesome. Get Very it. Very cool. Get it. We have Alfrey Woodard as Sarabi, which I think is Simba's mom, right? Yeah. Um, His mom. Yeah. Okay. Then this is this is funny. This is where we get the secondary kind of accent characters here. Um, we'll start with Billy Eichner as Timon. Um, perfect. Seth Rogen so as Puba. Also perfect. So Billy and he's, Seth he's as Timon get and Puma. So high. Puma's gonna be so high. Can you imagine Pumbaa's laugh like <laughs> with the Rogan laugh on Pumbaa like <laughs> farting and stuff is gonna be funny. Like that's a that's a great choice. Um John Connie as Rafiki and John Oliver as Zazu, the parrot. That's a great choice too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, probably what I, what I would have thought of. And then we go down to secondary or tertiary cast here. Um, 
Eric Andre as Azizi, um, Florence Kasumba as Shinzi, Keegan Michael Key as Kamari. I think those are the hyenas, correct? Yeah, that's yep. what I think. Yeah, and, and um, Alfred Woodward is uh, Saribi too. I think. And uh, then we go to J.D. McCary as Young Simba and Shahadi Wright Joseph as Young Nala. So, wow, impressive cast list. And um, I think John Favreau is going to knock this out of the park. And from all the test footage we've seen, we've heard about, it's just a, an unbelievable production. They showed yeah. they showed the I think the Circle of Life sequence to shareholders and Disney executives and things like that at the Disney um, mm-hmm. Expo this past year. And yeah, and me too. If you go to Disney World three times in a year, then they they send you uh, free stuff like this. So, oh, you've yeah, seen it? Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Let me tell wow. you. Wow, that's awesome. Um, and I, I, it I, it I only cost you thirty three thousand dollars. Yeah, so to- but totally worth it. Worth it. <laughs> yeah. Totally worth it. Yeah. I'm probably most excited about. I mean, this is a great cast with Timon and Pumbaa and Zazu and Scar. I'm most excited probably about Beyonce, just like sure. I said, because of the song aspect. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Um, and of course, John Favreau at the helm. Can't wait for that. So that's all I got for movie news. You guys got anything, uh, any other nuggets you want to kind of mention here before we uh, move on and talk about Suburbicon? No, let's uh, let's go ahead and talk about the best movie of the year. Let's, let's do, it. do it. All right. Uh, we'll be back. We're going to take a swig of water. We'll be back in eight seconds. But first, I want to say thank you to ZipRecruiter for sponsoring this episode of Mad About Movies. Is your company hiring or do you know somebody that's looking to fill a job? If so, head on over to ZipRecruiter.com. Over there, you can post your job in one click to over 100 plus job sites. It's super fast, super simple. It's the easiest way to find qualified candidates and find somebody fast. You don't want to take resumes for two months, three months, three weeks, interview a ton of people. You want their algorithm, their smart algorithm to find the qualified candidate immediately. That's why 80% of companies who have used ZipRecruiter, find a qualified candidate within just one day. So head on over to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad now. Post your job for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Do that. Thanks, ZipRecruiter. The smartest way to hire. Okay, I don't really know where to start with this uh, movie. Well, neither did um, anybody involved in the movie, so it's <laughs> We good. can start, I guess, with what brought us here. Um, we are looking for... Movies that aren't blockbusters. We're looking for movies that uh, bring something else to the table. I guess I'll say that this year. Uh, It's been a very consistent year in terms of big budget. Uh, I would say it's been an above average year in terms of uh, the general cinema. But like I said, it's a little bit lacking in the independent cinema front. And Mm -hmm. I think... A movie like this, there's always a place for every year. And uh, how many more times are we going to get, I don't know, duped, swindled um, by two things? Not only George Clooney at the helm, but the plot line of we want to return back to 1950s America and rediscover all of those times. Um, I've, I've just never really cared about those types of period piece movies that flat, like the pleasant fill and, and all that. I just don't, I don't know. Immediately when I go back there, it just feels fake. I don't know. I don't know if it's 
because it's so different or they just don't shoot it right. I don't know, but it, I always am, am taken out of the experience when, when, um, a movie is set in those times. Um, so I'll go back to George Clooney and we'll go to general thoughts here. Um, I kind of see what he was doing here, but I kind of don't at the same time. Uh, he made a few comments that I'll mention later that make me think, um, this whole thing could be a, a sham to be completely honest with the, with you. <laughs> um, but I just, why, why? I don't see why this movie exists. I see what it was trying to do. I think it fails miserably. Uh, it's two movies basically put onto one or one movie with about a half episode of a really bad TV show thrown into it. it, it it's just plot plots that don't really intertwine. It's, it's shoehorn stuff in it's characters that um, you never really care for. It's boring. Above all, it's just really boring. I, I guess that's what I can say. Uh, it's shot really well. I can say that. I, it, George Clooney certainly knows how to light a scene and how to work a camera. But I'm not convinced that George Clooney knows how to tell a story. And I I put that out there on Twitter after right after I saw this on Friday. It's just like, why why did I just waste my time? I just feel like this would move. There was no point for this to exist. It had nothing to say and it wasn't entertaining. And somebody put out, somebody put, replied to me and said, well, you can't forget good night and good luck. And I'm not forgetting that. That's a good, mm-hmm. that's a good movie. I have it on my shelf. Yeah. But it, was, um, it was 10 years ago. It was 10 years ago. ago so 12 years ago. And I said, me. um, major league hitters can hit, you know, get two hits out of every 10 pitches, but it doesn't mean you're a good hitter. If you get mm-hmm. two hits, out of every 10 pitches. So right now he has one hit really. Um, I guess confessions of a dangerous mind is a positive. Um, yeah. but I don't want to talk about his other movies. Uh, we, we would waste way too much time if we want to go back and critique those, but, um, this is not a step in the right direction and it's a disappointment for all people involved, really talented people. Uh, we love Damon. We love Julianne Moore. We love Oscar Isaac. We love the Coen brothers, but this is, this is just disappointing. It's right along the monuments men for me. It's right up there in terms of I, monuments men was, was definitely more for me because of the people involved in the subject matter, but this is just as bad as that movie, if not worse, mm. Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to add to that, can and then I, I really want to get, you in on this Richard because Richard and I were, were texting about this uh, yesterday and he had some good good thoughts on on old clunes but I think it makes it worse for him as a director when he takes these long gaps between movies which is usually a sign of of good things right like you, you typically if somebody is that discerning quote unquote uh, in the way that they make films you I, I don't know if that's fair or not but you do expect more from those movies when they, when they come out, you know, when it's been three or four years between films, um, I'm less willing, I guess, to kind of write it off as like, well, we all have hits and misses. Um, because you had, you had three years to, to piece this, to put this together and put your, your movie to screen. Um, yeah, I, I can't, it drives me nuts. This is one of my biggest pet peeves with, uh, with movie watchers in general is when, when you fall back on like, well, he, that yeah, but that guy had a really good movie one time in 1995 or something. I'm like, okay, cool, that's great, and I appre- I appreciate that movie. Good Night and Good Luck is a great movie, 
but that doesn't, and I, I like Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. It's, it's a solid film, but it's not, you know, whatever, regardless. Good night, good night and good luck. It's a great movie. He has not done anything of not just good, but like, I would, I mean, <laughs> of these four movies, Ides of March is the best of the four. And that well, is one of the biggest disappointments I've ever experienced in a film. I mean, it's just like, okay, cool. You made a great movie, but that was 12 years ago. And I don't, I, I don't understand the mentality of, well, he did one good thing. So we have to forever, we have to keep him locked in this, uh, this category where we consider him, a, you know, a great director. He's not, he's, I don't know that he's even a good director. And mm-hmm. this is, uh, to your point, he, you know, he, he seems to understand the camera angle, <laughs> but he knows how to a shoot lot a movie, of, he knows how, yeah, to, how sure. to produce a movie. But sure, it looks great, day, but you, can you tell a story? At the end of the day, yeah. it's your job to, in the edit bay, to tell the story. And mm-hmm. I just don't think he, he has the instinct to do that. Whereas yeah. somebody like Spielberg or somebody like that, it's all they do. It's, they can't do anything but sure. that. You know, it's just, it's just something you have or you don't have. And mm-hmm. who knows? Maybe he got lucky with a good script uh, a couple of times. Maybe... Uh, he just it got lucky. I don't know. I don't know how he did it before, but yeah. But the Monuments it's, Men certainly has the subject matter. Certainly has the mm-hmm. actors. So what went wrong? It's you. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's a he. He's in a weird spot too because I think it's carrying over into his acting side of things as well. This, I don't know if it's just the inability to. I don't know to pick scripts or or what, but it's it's concerning on the acting side as well, but it's, he, he can, he could stop directing today and he could continue to make, he can continue to be in pretty much whatever movie he wants to be until he has like 10 bad movies in a row because he's, I mean, bad movies in a row because he's George Clooney and because he, you know, he's beautiful and people, you know, we like him. And so he can continue to do that. Um, if he's going to keep directing, it's like we need we need you to step into a class or something we've got to figure out how you're going to uh to make this work as a career path because it's we are on just the this is the worst kind of path that you could you could be on to this point but um anyway not good not good at all and uh i think um far far worse than to me far worse than anything he's done up to this point including monuments men and and leatherheads and whatnot it's just this is i boy not good so richard what what do you got man (coughs) excuse me uh yeah this is uh obviously it's it's we kind of once the buzz came from the festival circuit on this we kind of knew uh we were maybe not in for great things with this um you know cooney's cooney is sort of uh he's he's a person of I think enormous taste, um, but his taste sort of is too ambitious for his his uh, storytelling talent. Um, so the story behind this movie, it's a Coen Brothers script that then he rewrote with his writing partner and then rewrote again while shooting it as kind of a response to the Trump uh, situation. Um, and so... It's a it's a very, real hodgepodge and it's a very angry movie and I understand you know I think it's known that Clooney's a politically not a f- fan of Trump so I understand that anger, anger comes from it. it just kind of manifests itself really sloppily and and odd in this um, so there's that but also you know his his what he leans towards is, as a filmmaker it seems like because it's it's always sort of Cohen Cohen-y, um, and. Th- is that 
he works on this sort of uh, with Good Night and Good Luck. It worked really well, and that's such a great film. And it's not, but it's such a great story, and it's his taste. He was allowed to just kind of come into the story and, and put his kind of visual and stylistic and uh, narrative taste all, all on it, and it it worked perfectly. Um, with something like this that requires more of a story, and his other films, you know, it just cool aesthetics don't really just that's not going to get it done. And I think part of it is he he works on this really satirical level. He he's trying to comment on society at large, especially kind of American society at large, and that's cool and that's great. Um, and I that's where I like to, that's what I'm interested in too in terms of art. I like things that are that way. Uh, and but I, I and I don't begrudge him for that. This I want to make sure that's clear. I, I would do the same thing. But you know, this is a man that literally lives on a private island on the Thames in London, and he lives like in on Lake Cuomo in Italy, um, <laughs> out near the on then on the Amalfi Coast. Also, like he lives an incredibly lush and extravagant life, and that's awesome. And he should, and that's great. He's George Clooney. You wouldn't want him to live in a bungalow in you know Merced. <laughs> That'd be pretty awesome, actually. It would. But it's but my my point would be it's that's a really hard place to satirize society from, especially a movie right. like this, which is satirizing like middle class America in a way, and the and the tensions of that, and you could tell there's a removal from that with him as a director, and yeah. um you know it's it's the it's the kind of the alien that's been dropped down here and said you know should we watch f- some football fellow humans and you're like okay that's weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's not how we, you know, it's kind of hello, fellow youths. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, It's kind of reeks of that. I think as an artist, and he is certainly, I mean, he's enormously talented and and so smart. I mean, such as it's unfair how smart he is with how good looking he is. Um, But I think he would be better served if he's going to go the sort of satirical way um, to maybe do something in the world. You know, that's why I said to Brian, it's like, why, why is Kirby Enthusiasm still so funny? You know, Larry David's worth a billion dollars. He lives in Brentwood. It's very probably removed from society. Well, the reason that that show works and continues to work is because he doesn't try to satirize, you know, what it's like to be an Asian American youth in Florida. He makes a show about rich people having lunch, (laughs) right? And, a sh- and hating you know, their lives, and hating, and, and the tension that comes from rich people going to dinner parties, and because that's he understands that. I think Clooney would be would be better served to do something more of a modern Hollywood satire, or um, you know, he always kind of he diverts to two things, always um, politics um, or kind of the political sociological nostalgia, and then also nostalgia, Spectrum. the classic movie star thing. He he's interested in those two things, and those two things are really hard to pull off. Um, when you a didn't live in that time, when you do the mm-hmm. classic movie star thing, or b you don't live in the real world. And again, right, I wouldn't either. That's awesome, but it's a hard place. So he, I think he would be better served to do something more in his in his world. Um, that's why like Oceans works. I know he didn't write and, and direct it, but like that extravagant kind of style fits mm-hmm. with he, he. I mean, you know, that's probably not Brad too Pitt, far. Yeah, yeah. It's like mm-hmm. okay, we can we can believe that. It's hard to really mm-hmm. believe him both as a director and an actor. As like a, you know, I just I go to my factory every day, and I and just like okay, <laughs> you know, and Robert Redford was the same way, sure. And so it's it's uh it's not it's not it's not not really even a criticism. It's just to keep trying to do mm. these really tight ropey, yeah. high minded satirical things is is tough. Right. 
And to be fair, I think he can do that as an actor. He's much more totally. rangy than people give him. Have you know? He plays George Clooney in every movie, but he's he's well he's rangy within that. I think, and you can look at Up in the Air or The Descendants or something like that and say he's still very good. Gravity, even for his short screen time in that, he's very good. He's very good in these roles, and he doesn't have to just do. To your point, where like he doesn't have to just satirize Hollywood as an actor, as a director, he's got to find a place where, um, I don't know, maybe can you just like get a couple under your belt, bro? Like do do a couple things that are kind of, <laughs> that are, that are maybe a little kind of easy, get, get something, get some momentum going before you step out here and try to do yeah. these things that you're just or, not accustomed or to. Or work not with there. a killer or work yes. with a killer screenwriter and don't try mm-hmm. to arter. Yeah. Right. At least have, yeah. At least have a reason to do this, and I hate to say that, but is this was this movie made for more than anything of hey, I feel like directing a movie. Let me call my friend Matt Damon and have right. him do it, and we're all going to have a good time and hang out and make this movie. Um, right. He that's basically this, Adam Sandler, right? At that point. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's doing this um, on a completely different scale than that. Um, he was talking with the Hollywood Reporter. I saw this uh, video interview with him, and and they, and they go, "This is what I was referring to earlier as the concerning comments." They go, uh, "So, uh, Mr. Clooney, suburban." This is back in September when this took place, so before it came out to the public. But I can't, I guess it was in the film festival uh, circuit at that point. They said, "Mr. Clooney, um, so Suburbicon, can you please tell uh, tell us what this movie's about?" And he goes, "Well, it's about uh, an hour and forty five minutes." And, oh gosh! And then, um. They go on and on and on, and he's talking about how, you know, we really wanted this movie to tell talk about how America feels right now. Uh, like, we want this movie to comment perfectly on the Trump stuff and African Americans in, in America uh, and how they're feeling. And he wanted this to be, like, the political commentary of the year uh, movie. Yeah. And it just tries so hard and it, and mm-hmm, it fails so mm-hmm. hard. It tries so hard to have something to say. And it has nothing to say. Um, it's offensive that it's trying to have something to say. I would rather this movie yeah. have nothing to say and just been this fun, dumb caper about a, a husband and insurance fraud and go the Fargo route than trying to make this a political satire. That's where it really fails um, for me. And the other concerning thing he said was, so he's doing the interview with Julianne Moore and Matt Damon are there. And um, he just kept begging Matt Damon to do it. Like he wouldn't do the movie without <laughs> Matt Damon's like, Hey, I'm shooting this movie in Atlanta. I really want you to be in it. And Matt Damon said, sorry, I'm with my family. I can't do it. And he's like, what if I move the entire production to LA? And he's like, okay, I'll do it. And so <sighs> again, that's goes, goes back to him just hanging out with his friends and uh, liking to direct movies. But um, he said one more thing. They go, so were there any pranks played on set that were funny that you can share? And he goes, well, I, I, this entire movie was actually a prank. Uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry to break it to you guys, Matt. And I was like, is he, he might be serious. And this is an inside joke between him and Damon and Julianne Moore. It's just about that exact thing about like, just make this, you know, anything that tries to like say, get out, for example, anything that yeah. tries to say something, it's an automatic cash grab nowadays people are going to be drawn to it because it's trying to say it's trying to be to stir the pot right um and this failed on that on that oh. aspect as well so oh 
George, what are you, what are you doing? Exactly what Richard was yeah. saying. What are you doing, man? You don't have to do this. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I didn't, I didn't know about the, uh, the scripting issues and the rewrites and all that sort of right. stuff bef- before I saw the movie. Um, but if, even if I hadn't known that, you know, in the research afterwards and talking to, to you guys and stuff, I would have come on and said, this feels like a movie that was retrofitted post election. And mm-hmm. that's very obviously what, what happened. And, and look, I, I give him credit for trying to be, I don't know, like if, if, if what's happening politically offends you, I, you know, I admire the willingness to step out and, and try to say something. And I think he wants this movie and, and more than more importantly, I think he wants to be kind of like a voice for the people. I respect that. And I, you know, I admire that desire, but this is not, <laughs> this is not the way, it's not the way to do it. It's not the way to do it. Retrofitting a script, uh, to make, to add in what becomes at times the A story, not just the you know the B story, and it doesn't boy it doesn't fit. It's just so shoehorned in there. It to your like you said, Ken, it becomes it at a certain point it becomes offensive on that front. And if this had been just you know this is ninety minutes long, it's just uh, it's kind of like a dark comedy. Then fine. And I imagine it was a dark comedy when the Coen Brothers handed it off. Um, but then through the rewrites and then once you add in uh, the B story, you know, A, again, the B story doesn't work and it feels really, really forced. Oh, but, bad. but maybe, honestly, truthfully, more importantly, it's not funny. And dark comedy, yeah. dark comedy, when dark comedy isn't funny, it's one of the most, um, <laughs> it's it takes you out of the movie immediately and but you know what the opening credit was pretty I, I thought it was a cool opening credit with them and in introducing oh, suburbicon I, like, I, yeah, I, I hated that card. yes I, oh, so, I, I dislike so that style yes it is very cliche and I dislike that style but coming in with the expectation of this is a this is going to be a horrible movie unfortunately and then with that open I was like okay I I don't that didn't make me laugh. It didn't make me happy, but I didn't hate that. And if we can find, if it can just strike that tone of like C plus, then I'll be pleasantly surprised with how this turns out that, but that's the most, (laughs) this is saying something. I think that's the most, that first two minutes is the most clever part of the entire film. And that's Uh boy, that's rough when that's Uh the best thing in it. You're, you're in some real trouble. There's, I, I don't know. There's one scene at the end that's a good dialogue, just people sitting at a table scene at the end. That um, I I think this movie could have been could have been a C plus if it didn't have that B storyline. Brian, uh, speaking of what you Maybe. said, it open the movie opens with this. Well, welcome to Suburbicon. Meanwhile, uh, African Americans moved in. This could be right. trouble. And then it goes to this um, Matt Damon storyline for like the entire movie and then flashback. Meanwhile, back at the African-American's house, uh, they're having a riot there. And then it flashes back to Matt Damon and that whole storyline wraps up. Yeah. And then, then it's, oh, it's back to the all, African-Americans at the yeah. end. Like this is somehow supposed to connect. I guess yeah. maybe the old, the only connection I could see or, or, or the point he was trying to make there was – Everyone's so distracted by the wrong thing that all this crap's going on and nobody yes, knows it. Yeah, that's and they're yeah nobody. Everyone thinks that it's perfect, but um, in fact, there's a ton of crap going on. 
I understand right. that, and, and also the the um, yeah. So, but that's not clever. No. It's not done cleverly. It shouldn't have been you know? done in this movie. Yeah, it should, it exactly. should not exist in this movie. It's exactly this movie right. should and, have been the family yeah. and the insurance fraud and the robbers mm-hmm. and the should have been like Home Alone mixed with Fargo in the 1950s. <laughs> you know, it's just kind yeah. of weird, dumb, stupid, cheesy music and narration and all that. It maybe mm-hmm. could have worked then as just well, as a C, like you said. The thing that that again, I'm going to go back to. I'm going to keep harping on this because this is. This bothers me. This bothers me greatly. Is Richard I, there, by the way? I haven't heard his voice in a while. Are you there, Richard? I'm I'm here. Okay. okay I'm cool. here. Sorry. Just I'll throw it to you in just a second. I'm sorry, Rich. Um, the it I see this a lot, and we're gonna see it more because we're now in an era where like the current group of filmmakers and, and would be filmmakers and, and TV show runners and stuff like that, they have now grown up in with the Coen brothers for an extended period of time. And so I feel like we're going to get more and more of this sort of attempt at dark comedy that really misses the mark on both the comedy aspect. And one, one of the things that makes Fargo and most of the other Coen brothers movies as well, but I'll, I'll, I'll stick with Fargo. One of the things that makes Fargo work is that, um, as loathsome as William H. Macy's character is, he's just, he's an, he's a, Probably a well-intentioned, good-meaning dude who made a bad choice and is now on a bad path and has now found himself kind of wrapped up in something that he is not equipped to handle. And in that, you can still see – it's not just that you're like waiting for him to redeem himself. That doesn't necess- That's not necessarily – the pull or what makes that, you know, the, that character click or that, that storyline work, but you can still, there's still like a, there's a shred of humanity there that you can continue to like root for, or just kind of watch spin out of control. And you're not actively like, man, I can't wait for this guy to die, you know? And that's how Matt Damon is in this movie. I love Matt Damon. Matt Damon is one of my probably five favorite actors in the industry this is a wholly unlikable role, and you can you can do that. He can do that. He's a very good actor. He can find ways to do it, but the way that the character is written, the way this movie is cut together, and even to some extent his performance, by the end, can't you mention that last scene, him talking to his son and stuff? I could not have cared less by that point. I just – his character had gone over the hill and past the deep end of – any shred of humanity by that point. And so I don't care. I don't, yeah. if I care, it's, it's an active rooting of like, please let this person die so that we can be done with this movie. And that's, I feel like that's the exact opposite of what you typically get with a Coen brothers movie, which is what this, you know, blanketly aspires to be, you know? Yeah. Richard, anything, um, on your mind? Yeah, it's just such a, you know, this is sometimes, this is in a lot of ways a harder movie to sit through. I cringed more at this probably than Geostorm because sure, it's A, it's such a cynical, like, hodgepodge of kind of lazy criticism. And then B, it's like kind of high-minded about it. And it's like, seems... Yes. And so you're just like, oh, this isn't, I can't imagine, I don't know if you see this in, in editing and then you, uh, it you know, and go, Oh no, what have we done here? And then it, then it's essentially, I mean, it's, I mean, gosh, if you want to see something like, if you want to, <laughs> I can't imagine when they were, they, they finished this probably end of the year last year, they were editing it in the spring. And like you said, Kent, the idea was, what is it, what does it feel like to live in 2017 
and be angry. And how do we show that in terms of a film? And how do we show this? And then how do we show the, the, the visceral anger, anger and the violence and the feeling that a lot of people feel on both sides, you know, about whether it's a political anger or, or a societal anger about losing your jobs and things like that. How do you show that? And then Get Out comes out and you go, oh, that, <laughs> yeah, that's what we should have done. You know yeah, what sure. I mean? Like, it's just so much more graceful and smart and, and interesting and clever. And it's just such a better version of that. I can't imagine being George Clooney and seeing Get Out being like, oh, and I have to release this thing in six months. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, mm-hmm. that's sure. going to be funny. So anyway, yeah, it's it's nuts. Gosh, some of the some of the payoff, like you're talking about Brian, and you just want people to die throughout the entire movie. Um, <laughs> but th- some of those moments come. For example, I guess we can go to spoilers now. Well, spoilers! If you haven't seen this, it's probably not in the theaters anymore. So too late. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a scene where one of the robbers. So basically the only interesting character I found in the movie was Oscar Isaac's character because he brought mm-hmm. so much to it. He was the only hint at anything funny or lighthearted in the movie or likable. Um, and he dies almost immediately. So that was a good choice, uh, George. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so Matt Damon goes to bury that character and he, he encounters one of the other robbers uh, that is uh, kind of hunting them down and then the robber just gets hit by a fire truck. It's like yeah. one of those movies where it's just all this build up and then like how dumb was that? How stupid are the, does it make the audience feel when mm-hmm. they sat through all that and then a fire truck backs over the guy or whatever, you know? I'm just yeah, gosh. and and I think that I think that all of that was if, designed to Skyfall make you and, and and you know, he's chasing <laughs> Javier Bardem and then like, sorry, got hit by a train. Right. <laughs> it's well, like I, what? <laughs> I, I think we'll all of that. I think all of that is designed to be like to make you. F- that felt super knockoff Coheny to me. Of like, okay, this guy has done everything wrong, but he's somehow going to get away with it, right? Like, we're going to find a way. He's he's going to catch all these breaks. Like, all these robbers are dying, except for the fact that this guy killed his wife mostly just yeah. out of spite and so that he could get money. And everything he's done up to that point has been horrific. And so, like, he's contemplating killing his son at this point. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want him to get away with this. And I don't I don't feel like if any... And I'm not engaged. I'm certainly not engaged in this movie. But even if I was, I think I would be just sitting there saying, you know, like, I don't, I don't want this dude to get away with this. He sucks. Like, let's, let's get him <laughs> done with. I don't... Yeah, you're rooting for honestly nobody in this movie. What you're rooting no. for is the movie to end. And yeah, not for the poor watching. kid to just get out of this unscathed. That's it. That's all there is. You're you're rooting for Joe credits uh, to uh, make an appearance. Uh, <laughs> where the hell's Joe credits? Um, so the the political lineup. I mean, not the political lineup, but the uh, police lineup scene. I felt like that was kind of missed missed opportunity as well. There's a scene where uh, so Julian Moore plays twins, which I don't understand the thing about. Hollywood actors playing twins of each other in the past year. Really? Why is this a thing now? Why do we have to, <laughs> James Franco's doing yeah. it on the deuce and we got this and we had, now you see me. And we, I was like, dude, mm, why do yeah. we keep doing this? Yeah. Look, it, not everybody has a Dylan McDermott slash Dermot Mulroney to yeah. play opposite of, you know? <laughs> exactly. They, they, they're the, uh, <laughs> the Hollywood it couple. They are for sure. <laughs> um, we uh, have that. And then, so Julianne Moore, 
her character is trying to kill the son by grinding up the medicine and putting it in the sandwich, and 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 she kills Oscar Isaac by uh what putting lime in his coffee and that's a horrible death yeah, these are horrible yeah. people and he what is he uh he kills the kid or the um oscar isaac with like a fireplace thing mm-hmm. yeah I, mm-hmm. I mean those are kind of good those are kind of the gore i'm looking for but it <laughs> it just felt so out of place and random and forced that uh it wasn't viable at least in this scenario uh so we have all that happen and then the scene that I was referring to, Brian, uh, earlier with Matt Damon and the son, and he's basically saying the son, um, I'm going to kill you or you need to not tell anybody about this. Um, yeah. And <laughs> which is what, you know, every parent has to have that. Mm-hmm. Ch- I conversation say that to with Cooper their kid, you know, eventually, right? Yeah. It's like the birds and the yeah. bees or how to, <laughs> you know, how to uh, manage a checkbook and all the uh, necessary conversations you have <laughs> with your, uh, your kid. But the scene doesn't play out very well because there's so much emphasis on the sandwich. Uh, mm-hmm, when she's yeah. making the sandwich, she's grinding up the pills, she's doing the thing. Um, and then there's so much emphasis on him eating the sandwich. And there's shots of the hands and there's shots of him chewing and all this stuff that we know as an audience that he's eating the sandwich that was poisoned. And so when it happens that he dies because of that, it's not, it's not any kind of twist. There's no kind of relief there. Because it was right. so, I mean, that's what I mean when George doesn't know how to tell a story. Like, I see what you're doing there, but you did it the wrong way. And yeah. um, that could have been a really clever moment. And uh, like I said, twist where he's sitting there eating with the kid and all of a sudden he drops dead. And you're like, yeah. what just happened? Oh my God, the sandwich. E- and you're just even like, that things- could have been a cool payoff, but no. Yes, yes. Even Even things like, there's a line in that conversation where he says to the kid, what do you know? And then he carries on with his his dialogue. I I feel like the kid, maybe I missed it, but the kid should have known that the the sandwich was poison just based on Julianne Moore's uh, you know behavior and whatnot. How this is? It's still a very bad movie, and I I don't know that it necessarily pays off. But how easy and better would that scene have been if instead of a cutaway and then we come back to it, if the kid just replies with. I know that that sandwich is filled with poison and then the guy, you know, yeah. and then he dies. Like that's to me that that's just lazy to not put yeah. those pieces together. That's, that's real easy to figure out. I think. Yeah. I know. He, I know you're about to die. He's like, what do you right. mean? And then right. he drops yeah. that. Yeah. At least he, yeah. the kid gave it a good sh- performance. It certainly, yeah. It certainly would have been like ambitious, like it, it, but it would have, it would have been fine. You know, it would have, it would have paid off something for, for the yeah. first time in the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was bad. And then, then we flash back to the, uh, the new neighbors. Um, and I guess they try to tie all that together with the kid going and playing baseball with the other kid. And that just <sighs> didn't work. So it's just really, just really frustrating. Yeah. Cause I mean, this reeks of hire the Coens to try to clean this thing up so that at least the dialogue isn't offensive because everything yeah, well, else is right. Right. Or the Coen brothers are really good at knowing when they write a script, eh, this one might not be the one and handing it off to somebody give it else. To George. Like, yeah. Or, or Angelina Jolie or, or whoever else. It may be one of those things, you know, there's certain teams in sports where you're like, you know what? If the Spurs are trying to trade a guy away, maybe you don't want to, maybe you don't want that guy. Cause the Spurs are really good at figuring out who is good and who is not. But if the, uh, if the Coen brothers are like, yeah, you, you can have this one. Sure. You, you go ahead and take that. Then maybe, maybe you say, uh, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to pass. We're going to hand this off to, further down the line somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think so too. Um, it's disappointing because this had one of the best trailers of the year. I like this trailer a lot. I was looking forward to seeing this. And it also has one of the best posters of the year. A great mm-hmm. poster. Sure. Really artistic and kind of iconically classic looking. And uh, they did it all that right. They did everything right, except make a good movie. So <laughs> Missed that part. Uh, yeah. You got anything else on this, Richard, uh, Brian? Not me. No, I mean, I'm done. No, I'm good. Like, uh, yeah. I, this is one that I probably will never never see again and be happy yeah. and fine. fine oh, with no that. question. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm just glad well, there was yeah. uh, more people I like involved in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to grade Suburbicon out at an F. Fail. <laughs> Brian. Yeah, I think it's. Uh... It's not an F minus minus minus. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> like I say, so it's 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 there got were, that were, going. There were elements it. of something that could have been good here. Sure. Um, yeah. Like Geostorm, there weren't. There was no elements of anything sure. good. Yeah. That was the, I, that was a patented uh, right. F minus minus minus. But this is just <laughs> yeah. an F. Yeah. Just just straight F. I, I'll go. Yeah. I think I think an F, maybe a low D, perhaps. But uh, it's not not good. It's in my probably my bottom five or so of the year so far. So that's. That's what you want. How about you, Richard? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with an F plus because it was very pretty <laughs> shot, prettily shot. Yeah, Gold it was. F like plus. I said, he 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 knows. And I've heard it's sad because uh, you hear so many good things about working with George as a director. Like he has, is so organized, and he has all these. You know, accommodates everybody so great, and he's great to work with. And he knows, like I said, how to shoot a movie. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's just like what happened. More in the, I, I'm more sure in the screenplay, construction, yeah, and the some other things too. It's just yeah, yeah, story oh. editing, yeah, yeah. It's all, it's all a big discipline. Okay, let's move on, guys, and hit a weekly recommend. Weekly recommends. All right, I am going to recommend uh, Stranger Things too. Boom. Yay! I gotta steal it. Um, How really far good. are you? We'll, we'll probably do an episode at some point. I think I'm episode six. Yeah. I'm really taking my okay. time with this one. I didn't want to binge it and and be kind of in and out on my phone. And so I'm really watching an episode at a time and trying to trying to digest this this one. And uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Maybe next week. I think we'll do that. Um, yeah. But you and me at least. It's a worthy sequel, and there's already some stuff. I love it. That is, you know, already classic in it. There's mm-hmm. uh, there's some <laughs> awesome moments that I'm really really anxious to talk about, and we're doing that on the normal feed, by the way, not the VIP feed. Right. So um, everybody gets that combo next week. Uh, Stranger Things two on Netflix. Watch it before next week. That's my recommend. Uh, yeah. Have you guys? I love uh, it. Have you watched five, the whole thing? I'm five in. Yeah. Five in, we had a we had a little party and had four. We watched four episodes with a bunch of friends, and then uh, watched one since. I think tomorrow night I may knock out three or four. I this is one where I'm, I'm uh, my Lindsay, my wife is is uh, big into Stranger Things, so I kind of have to wait on her time, which drives me insane because I would have finished it by now. This is I I am loving this season. I thought I think it's a fantastic follow up. So I'm excited to talk about it with you. Uh, what about you, Richard? What's your recommend? Or Brian, if you're ready. 
Yeah, my recommend. Uh, so next week, or yes, next week we're talking Stranger Things season two, hopefully. But we are also have our uh, our big episode on Thor Regonk, and we're very excited about uh, about that one. Yeah. Um, there's a the director uh, Taika Watiti. I think mm-hmm. that's how you pronounce it. That's what I'm going with anyway, and I'll get better at it by next week's episode he's done a couple of movies they're oh they're really good he's a very good director i'm i can't wait to see how he operates within uh you know the marvel cinematic universe it's gonna be really i'm very excited about uh what he's gonna bring to the table he did a movie a couple years ago called uh what we do in shadows yeah I've seen that, that we we've never done an episode on but um it's it's kind of if you've never seen it it's like a uh it's a mockumentary. It's like The Office for vampires, basically. And it's it's hilarious. It's one of the funniest movies I've seen in the last uh, handful of years. It's really sharp and clever, and the performances are all spot on. It's like Jermaine Clement. All the, all the Flight of the Concords guys, um, and then a bunch of other... <laughs> that's, that's the entire uh, population of New Zealand. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. Um, it's so Present. funny it's on amazon prime if you have that you can you can watch it for free and i'm sure you can stream or binge or get a dvd or something like that somewhere else but uh if you want i think if you if you want like a taste of uh of what uh what TD's, like his comedic styling is i think that's that's a perfect example like he's really clever and smart and witty and uh but he also can do i think some of the best pranks within that movie are just kind of dumb humor that they pull off really well and uh and i and i love that so check check that out uh in case in case there's anybody out there who 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 has missed that get on that one you're gonna want you're gonna want to watch that i think before 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 thor regong that's thor. more difficult to say than i would have expected before richard what's your recommend? by the way i always want to make sure we say this because people might uh we know it's ragnarok it's just there's a, a Dallas joke is Ragonk. So just so you before you send us 800 emails, uh, it's we it's, it's, that. All, it's gonna be Thor Ragonk forever. Just get yeah, used to I it. know it's never <laughs> gonna be Ragnar Ragnar Ragnarok. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm gonna do a recommend of a book. Sorry, I was muted earlier. I, it's my fault. I uh, I'm gonna just a book. Uh, Kurt Anderson uh, about uh, wrote a book called Fantasyland this year. Came out this summer or fall. Um, it's excellent. It's a 500 year history of the U.S. and like how we're kind of distinctly what makes us distinct, both good and bad. What makes us fantasy land? Um, Kurt Anderson edited. He co-founded Spy Magazine in the 80s and 90s, like a satirical oh, okay. uh, novelist and uh, stuff like that. But it's a really cool, um, really interesting look at every. It starts honestly with like the Pilgrims and the Salem witch trials and goes through Trump and like all the and you know everything from scientology to disney to different forms of religion and how they all are uh how they all impact our society at large for both like i said for good and bad so it's a really really interesting read um and it's written very funny um so yeah fantasy land curtis and check that out sweet cool brian uh you did yours richard Mm -hmm. you did yours Mm -hmm. i did mine that must mean it's time to find out where we can find you online brian you can find me on the Twitter at BGill12. You can find my writing at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. And I have a piece. I like to call it a piece so you know that it's very serious and, and hardcore journalism. I have a piece coming out on Friday morning that uh, that I had a lot of fun writing. So hopefully at least three people will read. That's my goal. Three people who are not related to me uh, to read 
this piece of work. That's that's what I want. So uh, look for that on madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on all social media at, I said that weird, on all social media at Richard Barden. That's the Twitters and the Instagrams and Snapchats of the world. You can find me at the Bad About Movies podcast newsletter, which we're cooking up right now to deliver to your inboxes. Kent, where can I find you? Uh, you can find me online at Kent Garrison on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and uh, all other social media. Uh, find us at madaboutmoviespodcast.com, madaboutmovies on Twitter, at madaboutmovies, and on iTunes. Hit subscribe. Leave those five stars. We really appreciate it. Appreciate uh, Wondery and the sponsor for today. And uh, next week, we're talking Thor Regonk. So stay tuned for that, as well as Stranger Things talk. And um, until then, we'll see you at the cinema in Suburbicon. Goodbye. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the cinema. Goodbye. Baby, I hear the blues are calling, tossed salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe. But I've got you pegged. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya ya. The salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again.